Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ in Northampton, Pennsylvania. My name is Pastor Mike Lansman, and this podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday sermons. I pray that they'll be a blessing to you, and if you're ever in the area, please stop in and worship with us. We'd love to have you. Last week, we spoke about, we were doing the calls, you know, going back to God's call in 1 Samuel weeks ago when we started this series, Where Do We Grow From Here? We spoke of the call to relationship with God and with one another. We talked last week about the call to mission, about how we exist to serve, how like Paul and like Christ, we pour out our lives in service to others, and uh, we do something interesting. We lay down our rights uh, so all can hear the gospel, the good news that we share of Jesus Christ. Before we get into today's text, though, we're going to talk about the call to renewed worship and vision. I'm going to tell you about a conversation I had with a friend of mine the other day, a good friend of mine from seminary. And we went for coffee, and we were just sitting around talking, and he asked me a question that when he, when he asked it, I felt like I got slapped in the face, but not in a bad way. Uh, it was just surprising, you know, or, or maybe not a slap in the face, but like, have you ever been sleeping and then someone throws cold water on you? And I know you all appreciate that. Uh, so girls, do that to your, your mom this week and see how it happens. And she says no. But it was, it was just an unexpected question, uh, conversation. And since we're talking about where do we grow from here as a church, I felt like it would be appropriate to share this, the, the question that he asked me to share it with you and uh, kind of use that to lead into our topic uh, for today. And you might be wondering, how does all this tie in with our reading? Well, we'll get to that in a second, so stay with me. But he asked me a question, and he said something really, he said, Michael, do you think that you're called to pastor a church that's, I'm trying to remember how he, how he put it. He said, do you think that you've been called to a church in order to help it close its doors and to care for the people who are there? So as they close their doors... They have someone to love them and to shepherd them and to care for them. But then ultimately, after a certain amount of time, you'll be there, you'll shepherd them, the doors will close, and then that's, that's it for, for the church. And he said, there are some people who do that. And, and, it, and it, him saying that, I was like, well, no, I don't think that at all. But it was a hard question. And I, I remember hearing and reading of... of of people who have done that, God had, God had called them to a place to help them transition into, into them kind of closing their doors and leaving and joining other congregations, but the church itself kind of closing. And so I answered to him, I said, no, I don't believe I'm called to that type of church at all. Uh, I think that I'm called to a place where God is going to do something amazing, where God isn't calling us to, to basically die, but God is calling us to a place where we can be renewed, where we can be renewed. And that struck a chord with me, and I haven't been able to get away from it since then. I keep coming back to that conversation over and over and over again. And so I think if you think about the series that I've been doing, where do we grow from here? And even if you go back and you listen to all of the groundwork we've been laying up until now, when we did uh, What's the Point?, uh, and then, and all, all, all the stuff that we've done, it, 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 I think this series and what we'll continue to talk about is kind of a, an answer, I think, to that, to that question. 
is no, I don't believe that we're called a church that's called to slowly, slowly dwindle and then close. I, I believe we're a church that that has potential, that has opportunity to be renewed for another generation, another another season of life. So it's with this in mind that we turn to the last of the three calls, the call to renewed worship and vision. And so in Mark 9, 2 to 13, I'll reread. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified." And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, Why did the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah comes first to restore all things. And how it is written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt. But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. So the transfiguration is one of the most theologically poignant occurrences in the entire New Testament, along with Christ's incarnation, death, and resurrection. This is an important occurrence. This is a very important event. And, and, I, kind of <laughs> and I kind of think that, like, they didn't do this with me. Maybe they should have. I don't know. But I feel like if you're going to be in ministry, if you're going to be trained in, in seminary or Bible college or whatever, I feel like you should have to preach a sermon on the incarnation of Christ. You should preach a sermon on the transfiguration of Christ. You should preach a sermon on the death and resurrection of Christ, I think, and the ascension of Christ. And then if you can get those then you're like, okay, you're, you're doing pretty good. You're doing pretty good. This is one of those texts that is very, very important. Three out of the four Gospels do not record it, though, or do record it. Only one Gospel doesn't record it, and that's the Gospel of John. And so some scholars and, and theologians thinking about this say, well, John doesn't have this story in his book because his book begins with something that they see revealed on the mountain. His book starts off, in the beginning was the... Word and the word was with God, and the word was God, right? Very, very high Christology linking Jesus Christ with the Logos, the eternal Logos, who in, who in philosophy kind of under, 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 uh, like undergirded all things, held up all things. He identifies that as Jesus Christ, as God the Son. So after six days, Jesus takes them up to the mountain. And this is a, a, a reference to something earlier that we see in the book of Exodus, Exodus 24, 16. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days, and on the seventh day he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Right? So just as Moses is called up into the cloud, as he was taken up the mountain for, after, for six, after six days, the disciples, Jesus brings them up. The mountain, And he brings Peter, he brings James, and he brings John. And this expands the reference in Exodus 24.1. He said that Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu. And Nadab and Abihu, they're brothers. Which of Jesus' disciples were brothers? 
James and John, right? So he's got two brothers in Exodus going up. You have two brothers going up with Jesus the mountain. And they're all also key figures in the early church, Peter, James, and John. So we have a couple of things that happen in this text. You have them going up the mountain. You have the bright light. And you have the voice of the Father in, in this story. And they all have parallels in the book of Exodus. And we, when we read this story in the book of Exodus and then again here in Mark, there are th th these references, the mountain, the lights, the voice, all of this stuff. These are all illustrations of what's called, uh, I'm going to throw a fancy word at you, okay? A theophanic event. Don't worry, I'll define it. A theophanic event is basically an, a fancy way of saying an appearance of God. An appearance of God, right? So in Exodus, we have this theophanic event. God is appearing on the mountain, calling them up to him. And then what we have here in the Gospels, we have Jesus bringing them up a mountain to experience something very similar, but a little bit different. But we still have that theophanic event in that they're seeing that Jesus himself is, is God. It's important that Jesus has people with him on the mountain as witnesses. And the reason why this is important is because they get a very clear identification. They get a clear revelation of who Jesus actually is. The transfiguration is for their benefit. It's for their benefit. Theologian named Father Pat Reardon said, The transfiguration manifests both the deification of Christ's humanity and the transformed capacity of the disciples to discern his divinity. And, but this is a problem, right, in the Gospel of Mark, because who are the one group of people you would think would absolutely understand who Jesus is and what he's doing? The disciples. But when you read particularly the Gospel of Mark, what happens with the disciples all the time? They don't understand. They don't recognize. They can't grasp what's going on. And so Jesus has to teach them. And in spite of his teaching, they still miss it over and over and over again. And Jesus has to keep teaching them, keep teaching them. And it's only after he dies and is resurrected and sends the spirit that they can sit back and then they go, oh. And this is one of those events that upon reflection, they sit back and they think, oh, oh, wow. I get it now. I get it now. Upon this, upon this reflection, right? But they don't initially get it, even after the transfiguration. Because it says here in verse 5, Peter said to Jesus, it's good that we're here. Let's make three tents, one for you, one for me, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. So even in the midst of God revealing himself in Christ, right? At Jesus, we see him in his divinity, they are afraid and they don't understand, even though it's for their benefit. They don't understand. That should give us comfort, I think, brothers and sisters, that the time God has done things for us, the time God has shared things with us or spoken to us through, through his word or through other people, we don't always grasp what he's about. We don't always grasp what he's doing. We, not, we oftentimes also misunderstand what he's trying to say to us. But he works with us. He doesn't abandon us. He keeps us. And his spirit works with us and does not abandon us. 
as Peter's talking, the voice of the father shuts him up. <laughs> if you were talking, well, Jesus, I think we should do this, this, this. And all of a sudden, the voice out of heaven, like just boomed out of nowhere. Shut up. This is my son. Listen to him. That's how I, that's how I picture it happening, right? In my, my translation, shut up. And in typical Mark fashion, it's just like suddenly they're alone again, right? Mark, that, that's a common occurrence on Mark. Things just seem like they're happening like this. So I don't think it's a stretch of the imagination to say that this event leaves a huge impression on the disciples. Peter, upon reflection in his second epistle, he says in 2 Peter 1, 16 to 18, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty for when he had received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. It's interesting, Peter there, did, he left out that part. The voice came and told me to shut up and listen to Jesus. He leaves that out, but that's okay. He's still reflecting on this, uh, on, even years afterwards. This is still coming up for him, and he's using what's happening here to set things straight in the church that he was writing to. He's linking the transfiguration here, interesting also, with the Holy Scriptures, with the Holy Scriptures. So in a sense, the light of Christ in, uh, from the mountain is also the same light that penetrates our hearts and allows us to see Christ in Scripture and to read Scripture and to understand Scripture and to see him all throughout Scripture. St. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For there is a God who said, Let light shine out of the darkness, who has shown where? In our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. St. Paul wasn't even there, but he's talking about the story of what he had heard. He wasn't even there for it, but even for him, hearing that story left such a mark on him that he uses that as a reference point in his own epistles. And so when it's referenced by people who weren't even there, we can see that this isn't just an aside that happened in the life of Jesus. This was something incredibly important that stuck with the church and remained in her memory and indeed remains in her memory even to this very day. So we say the light of Christ on the mountain, what does this have to do with us? What does this have to do about worship and vision and all that stuff? Well, in the gospel of Mark, like we said, the disciples always misunderstand Jesus which is odd because he explains himself all the time. They had this constant readjustment of their beliefs and their ability to see him for who he is. But once they do, they themselves are transfigured. So often like the disciples, we misunderstand what God is doing and we misunderstand what God is saying. This then calls us to renewed worship and renewed vision. That means whatever we sing, whatever I preach, or whoever stands up here preaches out of God's word, whatever we say, whatever we do, is always done in the light of the transfigured Christ, the glory of Christ. And we are given the Holy Scriptures, and we see him clearly in its pages, and we see Christ in, his, in the stories, even in the tough stories, particularly in the Old Testament. They're there to show us Christ. So when we see Christ in the scriptures, it's almost kind of like looking at a chart on the wall at the optometrist. Have you ever had that experience? This constant renewed vision and renewed, renewed worship and renewed vision that we, 
that, that we seek whenever we come to church. Have you ever, I'm, well, obviously, right? I've got glasses. A bunch of you have gone, have glasses too. So you've obviously gone to the optometrist unless you're doing that really, you can like check your vision now online. I don't know how that works. It's like stand back from your computer and look at the camera. Now do this and do that. And it does it for you. And then it emails you. Well, here's your prescription. I don't know. It was very weird. But some of us do it the old-fashioned way by going to the eye doctor. And what happens when you sit down and he's got that big machine, right? And there's a chart all the way on the wall. And what's the first letter that you always see? The big, I have no idea why the first letter is E. Maybe because it's easier to see. I don't know why it's not a Z or a P. I don't know. Or an A. I don't know. But it's always an E. And it's always like this big, right? And then they put the thing on your eyes when you're sitting there. And then what do they do? They make a little, they like turn the little wheel and then a lens pops into place. And what do they always say? Which is better? Right? The one that I go to, he always says, what about now? And I'm always like, well, what about, what about now? He's like, look at the chart on the wall. Okay, I look at the chart. And so it's blurry. I can see E and I can see usually the first couple of rows, but then the smaller I get, I'm nearsighted, right? So things closer to me without my glasses, I don't need. So I don't need my glasses to read or or anything like that. So sometimes I'll take them off when I'm reading because sometimes it's easier. But things that are far away, I have to put my glasses back on because I can't drive without them. I would get into accidents all the time. But it's kind of like that. So you're at, I'm at the optometrist. What about now? And he clicks it into place. I can kind of see. What about now? I kind of, I can see. What about this? Is that better? And then working with the optometrist, the things that are blurry on the wall, they gain clarity, right? They come into focus. We're finally able to see what it is that we've been looking at clearly. And this is especially helpful when you drive. Oh, now I can see what color that light is. Oh, there was a stop sign there, so the cop wasn't messing with me when I got pulled over for running the stop sign. Right? We gain clarity. Our vision is, is renewed. And so when we talk about renewed vision here, brothers and sisters, as a church, that's part of the reason why we come, because God is calling us to renew our vision all the time. And like going to the optometrist, do you only, I wish this could, was, was the case, but do you only go to the optometrist once in your life? No, you got to go. They, well, they tell you anyway, right? They say you should go once a year. You should go once a year. I mean, that gets expensive after a while, once a year. So some people are like, eh, every six years I go. But you're still supposed to go regularly, right? Because what happens? Your, your, your prescription needs adjustment. You can't look at the wall with the same glasses that you had when you were a kid. When I was a kid, my parents hated me, so they bought me those sports glasses. They were plastic, and they wrapped around my head, right? I had those, and then I had, like, the big ones. Mom and Dad, if you're listening to this, I love you. But if I were to go back and put on those sports glasses, which I think I still have, by the way, they're in a box. I used to play soccer. If I were to go and put those on and try to drive, I would be able to see, and it might actually be okay in some spots, but it wouldn't be the ideal lenses for me to see the world with. Does that make sense? Right? So, so like glasses, like going to the optometrist, it was a, an overlong example, please excuse me, but it's, it's a useful analogy for our purposes today. Like going to the optometrist, Scripture, right? Seeing Christ in the scripture, hearing the word of God proclaimed, receiving that and doing it by faith, that sharpens our vision, that sharpens our focus. It sharpens our focus. 
And that's something that we need constant reminder of who Jesus is, what he has done for us. It's the story that we enter in every year. We're about to get into Lent. And then as we go through Lent, we're getting into Holy Week. We do this every year. Why? We do transfiguration every year because it puts us in the life of Christ. It puts us in the feet of his disciples as we follow him through his life to the cross because it helps us see. It helps us see who we are. It helps us see our sins. It helps us to see him more clearly. Our vision of Jesus gets blurred sometimes by our sin those things that we're unwilling to let go of. The little things sometimes that we just can't shake. The person we just can't forgive. The thing we just can't let go. Sometimes our vision of Jesus gets blurred by our willingness to listen to God's direction. Sometimes our vision of Jesus gets blurred by the rejection of scripture. Sometimes our vision of Jesus gets blurred by our lack of prayer. Our lack of prayer. Can I be, well, <laughs> I shouldn't have to ask this, right? Can I be, on, I was, <laughs> can I be honest with you? It was weird. I went to the, the doctor the other day because Isaac scratched my cornea accidentally. So she said, well, can I, can I honestly tell you what I was going to do? And I was like, I hope so. You're the, you're the doctor. That's a hard one for me. Prayer doesn't come to me naturally. Prayer is tough. There are times where I don't want to pray. I don't want to pray sometimes. There are times where, where usually when I come here, you know, I have office hours. And so usually when I come here to the church, I always start off my day right here. Right? I come before this, this, this picture of Christ, before the altar, and I pray. And I pray what's called the hours. And I pray for all of you. There's some times, though, where I want to get here. I just want to open my laptop and I just want to do some work. I just want to get the service order done. I just want to send this email and get it out of the way. I want to start writing my outline for my sermon or the ideas that have been kind of on the back of my mind. Just kind of, I, just, I want to do those things instead of doing the one thing that helps me clarify my vision. So there are some times, brothers and sisters, I'll be honest, where the only, reason, the only thing that gets me up here with my prayer book is not the fact that I don't want to pray, but the fact that I, I need to, even when I don't feel it. And that's often the times when we don't feel it is when we need to do it the most. And so we'll talk about this more next Sunday, but as we, we come into the season of Lent, use this opportunity to stretch yourself in prayer. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you ways that we can do that together as a church also, but also as individuals. But in the lapsing of our devotional lives, it's easy to give time to Netflix, right? <laughs> like, it's easy. It's easy. You, it's easy for me. It's easy for Shantae and I to sit down and to binge watch, you know, Daredevil or whatever Marvel shows on at the time, right? It's easy for us to do that, spend three, four hours watching The Crown. But it's, for some reason, I don't know, it's harder for me to stand up and say, okay, I'm going to actually devote this time to prayer. And when we don't do that, when we don't take that time, our eyes, our vision gets blurry. Our vision gets blurry. And so when all of this happens, it affects, I think, the quality of our worship. And we have to remember, brothers and sisters, that worship isn't just the singing. 
There's this weird thing in Christianity now when you go, how was the service? Well, worship was great, but the preaching wasn't so good. Or the preaching was excellent, but the worship eh, wasn't so good. Worship is not the singing. All of this is worship, right? The hearing of God's word, the choir, the hymns, the preaching, the coming before the Lord's table, all of that is worship. That is, this whole thing is worship, not just the singing. And indeed, brothers and sisters, our whole lives are acts of worship to God. What we do matters because we're Christ's. And when our worship stagnates and our vision of Christ gets blurry. And so we renew our worship and we sharpen our, our eyesight by going back to scripture, by going back to the vision of the church. Why are we doing what they're doing? And then starting to make those adjustments that we need to do in the light of Christ. And when we make those adjustments for ourselves together, right? Do the things that we need to do. As our vision focuses as individuals, it helps us to sharpen our worship and to sharpen our vision as a church. Who are we? What are we doing? Why are we doing it? Who are we reaching? So as we finish today, as we go to the rest of today's service, as we, as we come before the Lord's table, as we think about what the transfiguration is, what the transfiguration accomplished, and, and, and what it means for us as Christians, let us, let us hold to that, brothers and sisters that we need a renewed sense of worship and vision, not just once a year, but all the time, all the time. And so to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is transfigured on the mountain, be all glory together with his Father who is from everlasting and is all holy, good, and life-giving spirit. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Mike Landsman. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast for Zionstone United Church of Christ. You know, we have deep roots here in the local community, and our history is fascinating in that we predate the founding of the United States itself. If you're interested in worship that is traditionally grounded and scripturally faithful, come visit us. We may just be the church for you. You can find us online, zionstoneucc.com, or you can look us up on Facebook, zionstoneucc. If you have any questions, feel free to email me at malandsman at gmail.com. Again, God bless you. Thanks so much for listening, and we hope to have you visit our church in the near future.